There's a lot to say when buying a new home or car, but only one thing to say that can help you protect them. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And just like that, a State Farm agent will be there to help you choose the coverage you need, no matter where you are in life. When you need coverage options, your State Farm agent is there to help, on the phone or in person. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Nerdist Podcast number 493. Hey, I'll be performing at Caroline's in New York, May 1st, 2nd, and 3rd. So come on out to that. You can go to Caroline's uh, website or Nerdist.com slash calendar. Um, also, uh, we will be doing At Midnight Live at the South Beach Comedy Festival April 4th, and uh, I think we're doing a couple dates around. Maybe I think we're doing an At Midnight in Nashville, so there's there's tons of live stuff going on. Nerdist.com slash calendar. I'd like to thank NatureBox.com for sponsoring this episode of the Nerdist Podcast. If you want healthy, amazing snacks delivered almost right to your mouth, go to NatureBox.com. I cannot guarantee that the postal carrier will put it directly in your mouth, but I don't know. Strike a deal. You know, they're people. Why not? See what happens. NatureBox is a subscription service starting at $19.95 where you can discover and enjoy really healthy snacks on a monthly basis. And uh, each bag is full size. It's got like three to five servings of snack food in it. So you're not going to get like a tiny bag with a couple of things and then feel ripped off. That's not how they work. NatureBox is a great company uh, and they want to give you healthy, delicious snacks. So then that way, you don't have to drive around the city and then go, Hey, I'm hungry. I'm going to go put a bunch of unhealthy things in my body because I don't know I'm going to eat again. Carry some healthy snacks around with you uh, and then just throughout the day, snack at your leisure. Thanks to NatureBox. There's a coupon code, 50% off your first box at naturebox.com. That's only $9.95 and an incredible variety of snacks. So just go to naturebox.com slash Nerdist. Thanks for sponsoring the Nerdist podcast. Which is uh, Jared Leto, Oscar winner Jared Leto. But we recorded this when he was Oscar nominee Jared Leto. Um, but a really, really, really great chat. We never met before, but we, you know, we tweeted each other back and forth, which is a thing that happens now. That's how we. That's how you meet people. Twitter is essentially like a friend service. Uh, I've discovered, and also a great way to get guests on the podcast. But he is uh, this guy. Jared's busier than I am. I don't know how he does it. But he's just like flew in for a couple days, came into the podcast, flew back. I don't know where in the world he is right now, but uh, he is promoting his short film documentary, City of Angels, about his band 30 Seconds to Mars, which is available on Vimeo.com. But um, we had a really great chat, and uh, and it was nice to sit down with him. And so also nice to see like where his head was at going into the Oscars, and then now, of course, man, I don't think, I mean, it seemed like everyone knew he was going to win, uh, but still, it's probably pretty rad to win an Oscar. <laughs> I will never know, and I'm fine with that, but here's the Nerds Podcast number 493 uh, with the delightful Jared Leto. Now entering Nerdist.com.
food. I just haven't had a chance to eat today. So I'm, I'm not surprised. I'm surprised you. I think at this, with all this shit that's happening in your life right now, there should just be a thing where they, you could just put like a protein patch on your neck. A gel. Or a gel. Like an ultra marathoner, you just squeeze a gel and they push you into the next meeting. And then you just absorb, your body just absorbs nutrients. It will completely take the joy out of eating. I'm mm. on board. I would like the joy removed from eating. <laughs> oh, buddy. It's so joyful. Come here. No, it's okay. I love you. I did read it. My brother read an article to me recently about, you know, the difference between eating because you're hungry and eating for pleasure, right? Mm-hmm. And the psychology of that. And why certain foods make us go nuts. Like, I guess in nature, there's not a, a combination of salt, sugar, and fat. Okay. So when we have something that has salt, sugar, and fat, we just go absolutely fucking so nuts. So everything in the American diet? Let me yeah. tell you, this yeah. weekend uh, in San Francisco, I went to this place called Sweet Maple. I'll plug it because it was delicious. Ooh, yum. Oh, yeah, yeah. It sounds good. It's called uh, Millionaire's Bacon. Oh, I heard about Millionaire's Bacon. And I was like, well, I better order this. It's a very thick slice of bacon. <laughs> That uh, is uh, like a maple glaze on it with some sugar on it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's exactly They have that at the Clinton Street Bakery in New York. If you ever go to the Clinton Street Bakery in New York, they have sugar bacon. It's not called millionaire's bacon. And and it it, it gets me, it's like the kind of food that you get fucking mad at where you're like, why are you so good? Like, Mm. I get mad. I get mad at bacon. Well, my plane almost crashed yesterday. And then, but the good thing about it is we made an emergency landing in the middle of Colorado. And we ended up at a restaurant called Bin 70 or something. How did you? How did you Been go from almost? How did you go from almost crashing to a casual lunch? Still got to eat, buddy. It was a casual late dinner. It was the only restaurant Emma found it on Yelp, and uh, it was one of the best restaurants. I don't know if it was because we just survived a near death uh, experience, but it was the most amazing food ever. Definitely how? What, go what happened? I, I shouldn't talk about it. Okay. <laughs> it's it was brutal and weird and intense and. Uh, uh, yeah, we just had a, a really dangerous thing happen, and we had to make an, an emergency landing. Oh my god! Yeah, but on the, br- the anyway, bright on another, is they another went to thing, a wonderful yeah, restaurant. We got the best food uh, you could ever. I imagine. like that you found the silver lining in that. Mm-hmm. I love that you found the silver lining in that story somehow. Uh, and then yet still, after that, we're like, okay, let's go get on a plane again. That's it. And a couple hours we were on the plane. Sorry, I'm eating. <laughs> that's okay. You need to eat. This is a very crazy... Everything that's happening in your life right now is insane. First of all, I watched the movie last night, mm. and it is fucking amazing. Thank I mean, so like... So, I, I mean, it's... You know, like, I, I don't see every movie all the time just because of my work schedule. I Not work bad. seven days a week, and so... But I really... I really wanted to see it before you came on, and um, and it really like everyone in the movie was so, and you were fucking amazing. Thank God so damn it. it! It was like the sugar bacon. It was the sugar bacon of movies. It was the millionaire bacon. It, it was, was really millionaire's, millionaire's bacon, bacon of movies. I appreciate that. Um, we sort of, uh, I, I feel like we've tweeted at each other before yep. a little bit, like, yep. "Oh, you come Last to the year. podcast," and you're like, "Sure," and then our schedules just yeah, good problems. Did that? Yeah, yeah really good problems. Yeah. Um, so between wh- when when are you acting and when are you performing music well, and when I are you? I hadn't made a movie in almost six years and I, and I hadn't read a script in actually years before uh, Dallas Buyers Club came my way. I read it. I fell in love. I, I had kind of I had a feeling. I wanted to make another film to see if there was anything left in that world for me. I love film. I love so much about it. Um, I was a film student for a while and dropped out uh, in my third year uh, to pursue acting because I thought if I got a job acting, I could get a job as a director. 
So that was actually my the beginning wrong. for You're me. You're not wrong. Yeah, it's kind of worked in a way because I spent a lot of time behind the camera uh, over the past 10 years. Just put out a documentary. It's on iTunes now called Artifact, but we can get back to that later. It, but I guess I've been spending a lot of time uh, with 30 Seconds to Mars around the world. And, you know, we were signed in 1998. We Something impossible happened. We succeeded, uh, much to everyone's disappointment. Uh, or many people's <laughs> disappointment. Well, they don't want you to succeed because, I mean, some people don't want you to succeed. They're like, no, because in their heads, you're in a certain box. Of course. Right? And so they're like, and, and, and you've had, it's sort of funny, you, you, you've had a lot of these luxury boxes to get out of. It's like, mm. he's too attractive. How could he be a good actor? Oh, all right, he's a good actor. Well, he's an actor. How could he be in a band? All right, the band's pretty good. You know, it's like, it's mm. constantly changing what people's expectations are. I mean that's that's a I think that's not such a bad thing and you know I've always just been in the business of making dreams happen whether they're small and uh, uh, or big ones like that and I think that would probably all of us sitting around the table have that in common you know yeah. or else we wouldn't be here right. sitting in front of microphones uh, so I've been spending a lot of time with that and uh, you know I made this little movie in last December. And uh, somehow, some way, it connected with people, and and they responded to what we did, and now it's just been an amazing journey. I'm actually on tour right now, and stopped in L.A. for a few days uh, just to do a few things, visit you. <laughs> that was very nice of you. Um, I was at the Oscar luncheon today, and uh, they're <laughs> rushing the me out. Take the big picture. Yeah, I took the big picture. Uh, Someone awesome. got a picture of me. I was, I was I was really tired because of the near death experience. Um, it's really draining when <laughs> that you does take die. a lot out of you. Uh, and 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 the triple fried bacon and all that. But uh, someone got a picture of me yawning to a. In the middle of the group, you know, oh, it was a buddy who might send it to me. I'm sure it's going to be all of it. And that's even one of those things where people are like, oh, oh what an asshole. Yeah, How could it? An and asshole. you're like, no, you guys haven't slept in like four days. Like, yeah, I feel like people don't ever want to assume the human thing about you. Yeah, they always well, want to assume the asshole thing about you. We're like, no, I'm just I've been working a lot. Yeah, no, I'm an asshole. <laughs> uh, it's OK. So that no, it, it's it's that's what's funny about it. I've, I've been doing this for a really long time now. So I've, I've obviously had a chance to adjust to all of it in a, in a really good way. I think I never had an explosive career. I've had a career that's been, you know, one foot in front of the, the other. And, and, uh, sometimes things work wonderfully like they are now or with 30 seconds to Mars. And you look around and you'd be like, wow, we're touring the world for the seventh time and playing some of the biggest venues on the planet. And it's amazing and wonderful. Uh, and I guess a testament to what's possible to hard work. I guess. When I, I, I think we were at MTV at the same time. Yeah, that's why I know you. That's where you got famous, isn't it? I not really, not really. What I mean, were you doing at yeah, MTV? I was doing singled out, but yeah. I don't. But I don't think. Um, I, don't I know, know your face from those days. I, I guess you originally that yeah, was the yeah, first yeah. imprint. It's like a coin, though. Yeah. Well, we're exactly I mean? the same age. We're exactly we're exactly the same age. Really? And uh, yeah, and I gotta say, I think people should be hopeful for us being the age that we are because I feel like we're kind of been good. Yeah, I mean, he looks a little better. He looks way better. I mean, there's <laughs> not even a little <laughs> bit. Not even a little bit. Um, but I, but I think that. Uh, you know, when, when we were younger and we sort of thought of like, oh, what is 42 like? Oh, yeah, you know, like, sure. oh, that's, I think of like, oh, by that time you're in you're your pajamas just, at 4 p.m., exactly. you know? Yeah. Uh, exactly. And, it's nice to know there's still some life left. <laughs> there's a lot left. There's yeah. a lot I left. I just went snowboarding for four days and it was like, I, I was boarding better than I've ever in my life and felt in better shape than I've ever felt up there in my life. And that we boarded one day with uh, a guide 
and he was 53, and the guy was so nuts. He was boarding with one of his feet out of the board the whole time through the trees in the powder. Show off. And just so incredible and inspiring. Uh, it's, I'm just glad that 70 is the new 20. <laughs> uh, Let's keep saying that. Let's keep saying that. Yeah, yeah, it's not over. the we new gonna, 12. Uh, do, you, do you have this thing where you go... The more money uh, you have, the more decades you can buy. I, I have a lot of faith in science, and by the time I'm 70... Reverse aging. I, yeah. I'm well, hoping. It kind of happens because you start wearing a diaper again. <laughs> People have to help you. Go I don't want to jump that far back. I want to go back to the twenty. I want to go. I don't want to go that far back. Yeah. But I had read in an interview that you said that um, that the time that you took off was really valuable to you because it these six years gave you wisdom and and just basically gave you experiences yeah. that helped the acting part that sure. you wouldn't have had if you had just kept. Yeah. I think it's a similar thing. It's like if, if you if you went away from if you went on a journey, went on an adventure, and you came back and you saw your friends after six years, you'd have something to say. Yeah. It's the same thing for an artist. If you whether you're a painter, or you're a musician, or you're an actor, uh, or you interview people, you know, uh, and and tell stories, whatever it is, uh, you really only have to offer that which you've consumed you've mm-hmm. taken in so it was a productive and good time a time to grow up a time to have a lot of failure some successes and you know the failure teaches you quite a bit uh, uh and we saw things we never dreamed of did before. you feel like when you left for the six years were you like i'm tapped out i gotta take a break i i just had a very full life and yeah. still do really busy so i wasn't pining for other creative fulfillment i, w- I didn't feel like oh i'm missing out yeah. i was making tons of music videos in front of the camera behind the camera spending a lot of time editing and directing and producing and you know making this documentary which is about our battle with our former record company they sued us for 30 million dollars <laughs> we fought them for two years and filmed everything Jeez. oh wow so uh yeah and that just came out and that's been another real highlight in the past few months uh it's funny, Julie Roberts came up to me at the, uh, uh, it's great, you can say Julie Roberts' name. Everyone goes, everyone just, everyone, their chin Sorry? comes up a little, excuse me, what'd you say? Who? Julie Roberts? Julie yeah, Roberts. Julia. Uh, early, by the way, I was with Bono earlier, just not, just dropping some names, and Merrill. Uh, uh, but anyway, I was Lynch, at, Merrill Lynch? Oh yes, yeah, exactly, yeah. Merrill Lynch. They gave me a great deal. On a new loan. So I was at the Golden Globes, and, and Julie Roberts comes up, and she's like, oh, the film, so amazing. Uh, this is just so incredible. The story was was wonderful. And, I mean, Artifact was so great. And for oh, sure, I thought awesome. she was talking about Dallas Buyers Club. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it's been nice because the, the film is really... Uh, you don't have to be a fan or even interested in 30 Seconds of Mars. It's, really, it's about art and commerce. Like, you guys would watch it and be like, you know, I've had a similar scenario yeah. because I'm a creative person and I've dealt with the ugly side of business and how that can infringe or create a lot of friction for a creative person. Uh, so it's nice that the film is getting that kind of response. Uh, it won the Toronto Film Festival Documentary Award and Gotham Documentary Award as well. So. Well, yeah, because that's right about the... That's like, if you started in 99... That was kind of the beginning of the end for the for the traditional music industry, anyway. Yeah. So that was a very strange. Unfortunately for you guys, that was a strange time to get in with a label. We're very lucky that we that we started so early. I mean, because in, there's a lot of of what we have now that I don't know if we could have accomplished uh, now. It's a different time in in yeah. every way, the consumer behavior and the business of music. Uh, but we're a band. We sold. We've sold ten million albums. Jesus. We've played in front of hundred thousand people shows. You know, we sell out the O2 Arena and Hollywood Bowl. 
you know, but still we ended up in a situation where although we sold millions of albums, we were millions of dollars in debt. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you would think that, boy, that's not going to happen to us. So we examined that. And now I'm excited for other artists and young people to see how this business really works uh, and what they can do to avoid it. Well, basically, in that in that situation, I was I would assume it's just the label basically just expenses you for everything, and you pay for every single thing, and you can almost never make up for it unless you're the top oh 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 one percent. You're exactly right. Yeah. And so there's so much money that they it's just can't even they, they they can't even even with the help of an acting coach they can't tell you you're in debt. They just <laughs> are. You know, you just you you sold fifty million albums now. You know, maybe if you sold 30, they'd still try to say you're in debt. But once you get to the, those big, big numbers, they got to write you People a started getting hip to that with the TLC behind the music. Yes. Where, oh, they, yeah. where they, they basically just came out and said like, yeah. Uh, so, and, they, and she, I think like Chili or one of them basically just yeah. walks through the math of it and goes, so if they say you made this amount of money, this is where all this comes out. And then they charge you for this. And then on top of this and then this. And then you have to pay all these different men then. So she was explaining, like, how could we be broke if we were this famous? The other thing that people don't understand is the way that some of the streaming services and even the YouTube deals work. You know, the record companies get giant advances. uh, And, uh, you know, those advances aren't necessarily shared with uh, the artists. Um, You know, they go to the record companies so they can make sure that they have the right to stream music. They have right to broadcast uh, music videos. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's rare that artists get paid anything uh, at all from from a lot of the streaming services. So there's still a lot of lot of room for improvement as far as you know artists and record labels and how deals are made. The dumb thing is is they could make very transparent deals, simple deals, and still make tons of profit and keep people really happy. They could treat musicians like entrepreneurs, people like Mark Zuckerberg or Steve Jobs who took on VC money in order to build their businesses. Uh, but could you imagine if those people were treated or had convoluted, strange contracts that you know are impossible to read unless you're a mathematician? You, mathematician, you wouldn't have Apple. You wouldn't have Facebook. Some people just sighed. <laughs> Thank God. Uh, but you wouldn't have some of these wonderful things that we have in our li- lives. Well, the commerce side is, I mean, especially if you're just a career, if, if you, it's like, oh, I just want to, it's almost like, there should almost be a, you know, if there, if there is like a performance art school, there should be a business side of the performance oh, I mean, art I'm, school. Yeah, I'm good with a dick joke, but terrible with money. <laughs> but if you just want to tell your dick joke, imagine you're just like, I just want to tell dick jokes. And then someone was like, well, here's a bunch of ways that you yeah, can do and that. I get to a point where now I've told so many dick jokes that someone's like, now I need a business manager to help exactly. me with my dick joke money. Yeah. yeah. It yeah, does happen. What the fuck am I penis, <laughs> penis can equal a lot of cash. Apparently, I am learning, guys. Yes. I'm loaded. Yes. In many ways. But, uh, you, uh, uh, so, so this six years, were you, did you take any time Touring off? incessantly. You were we, just touring We toured, nonstop. so this is kind of ridiculous and funny, but kind of fun and cool as well. We toured so much on our last album, we broke the Guinness World Record for the longest tour ever. And they came on stage and gave us a plaque in New Who did York. You beat? Some English guy in a yellow jacket. Oh, um, <laughs> he was great. And now I have got that plaque proudly sitting in my guest bathroom above my guest toilet. Um, May I come over and pee? You can. Thank and you. And you can just I you can piss it. in awe. <laughs> <laughs> That we've uh, played. That's the best thing to put in your fucking bathroom. Right? It's a world the record. world record. You're just being and staring at a world record. This guy broke a record. <laughs> That's unbelievable. 
So I have a I have a question for you. Just as being as someone who is uh, who w- works a lot too, do you feel like you're running from anything to stay that busy, or is it just the joy of oh, this is just something I love so much that I never well, want to stop it? I'm, I'm sure there's some deep seated adolescent psychological, you know, painful, impactful experience that may have generated some of the desire to win, um, to please, you know, uh, the world. Uh, but I think also there's joy in the accomplishment, uh, the achievement of goals and dreams. And once you've felt that, it's hard to not want to pursue it. And therein lies a little bit of danger, too, sure. because you win in one area, win in, win in the other, and you kind of get into not so much the innovator's dilemma, but another, another dilemma that, that even co- corporations face all the time. Um, you know, diversify too much, and they don't do... A good job with what they're supposed to do. Oh yeah, of course. Uh, I mean, well, like so Microsoft, the new the investors are telling the new CEO, yeah. drop the Surface, drop Xbox, yeah. and just focus on software. That's yeah. Unix philosophy. Yeah. Like, do but one it's hard thing to let go well. because yeah. you get Microsoft, yeah. you got Xbox. Yeah. So there's an example of, oh, okay, we can get into uh, a world and a place of vertical that can be incredibly lucrative and maybe help push our be- our our business in a new direction. But I think as far as being busy all the time. You know, you. I always tell young people when they come and ask for advice or they're talking about creative things, you have to be compelled beyond a reasonable doubt to do this, because if you're not, it's it's not worth it. It's not pain. It's it's too painful. It's not uh, stable enough to put up with what needs to be put up with. You should just get do something normal. You know, for lack of a better uh, uh, term, because uh, the uncertainty and still instability is too great. Yeah. Uh, so don't do it unless you're unless you're compelled. Like I want to do this with my life. I, I don't. I, I I'm I'm happy to work a Sunday. Sure. Uh, Tuesday is the same as Saturday to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have to be compelled beyond a reasonable doubt to do these sorts of things, or else they're not worth doing. Well, I would, tell, I would say you have to enjoy. You you have to greatly enjoy the process. Yeah. Good or bad, you have to enjoy the process because the goal achievement, the attainment of a goal, is so fleeting. Really, I mean, it's like, oh, I did that. Oh, that's weird, and I think it it fucking blows a lot of people's brains out of the side of their head because they're like, oh, what now? I've just that was a thing, and now yeah. I'm left. What am I supposed to? And so I think you really have to just use them as sort of like, you know, like oh, that's plates, a, spinning plates. Yeah, well, Keep I guess like spinning plates, plates. but really exactly. just a little bit of a roadmap to yeah. because you don't you don't really grow in the attainment process in the attainment moment you grow during the process like sure, that's where it's the all failure that, that teaches you as well right. you know i a lot, when i was younger maybe i would have think like i would have thought once you succeed then you're there and you can kind of take a breath it doesn't happen no. like that you know that hamster wheel keeps turning a little bit faster it's yeah. it's sisyphus right yes you, you push the boulder to the top of the hill and it rolls back down again but you know there has to be something in that climb that's incredibly uh, compelling and rewarding and fulfilling, and there is, you know. But I, I also bet a lot of people would probably stand in in our shoes uh, after a couple of weeks and say, you know what, you can have your job back. <laughs> You'd have to love it. You have to be compelled beyond a reasonable doubt. Yeah, you have to. You have to love it. And I, w- I would add to Sisyphus. I would also add Tantalus, who was another punished in Hades guy who constantly. He was in a he was near a pool he was in a pool of water and he was thirsty and every time he would go for the water it would disappear mm. so he could never have his thirst quenched yeah, yeah, and I feel yeah. like that's the same kind of like you never like some people are so um, rabid to find this 
it's this experience. It's like, this is going to be the thing that fixes everything, and yeah. they can never hmm. actually get it. Terminal dissatisfaction is certainly a, a quality I've found in a lot of uh, creative people. Do you need it to be artistic, do you think? No, I don't think so. I mean, I think there are a lot of really, you know, adjusted uh, people that have stable lives that make Okay, wonderful. besides Tom Hanks. Thanks. <laughs> besides, yeah, besides Tom Hanks, well, maybe not. <laughs> I mean, Stephen King, I don't know. Yeah. I've sat next to him at some Red Sox games. Okay. He's an interesting character. Did you really? Yeah. Did you talk to him? Yeah. What did you talk about? About Red Sox. I'm surprised you didn't talk about Banger, Maine. (laughs) (laughs) Banger. Banger. Banger, Maine. Um, He's a lovely guy, Stephen King. He is. He's great. Um, So when this this opportunity for the movie came up and you started doing it, did it feel, when you were doing it, did it feel like, oh, this is, this feels extra special or this is, this is going to be something or do you just not even think about that stuff? I don't think I was in that place. I was so focused on building it's kind of it's really like anything else if you're building a a house or putting the bricks in the wall you're so focused on the work at hand and you know you've got a deadline you've got to deliver you have to uh kind of do all of these tasks in order to get to where you need to go you know the heels and the tights and all of the accoutrements the lipstick all the physical things and then there's the dialect and the register and there's the losing 30 40 pounds there's the the dialogue every day and uh, in the scenes that you try to get inside and underneath so you understand why people are doing what they're doing. So it's a whole, there's a whole, so you become a detective and a psychologist and it's eternally fascinating uh, thing to do. Shooting isn't very much fun because it's always a series of compromise. You never have enough time. You get up incredibly early, you know, 4 a.m., 4 a.m., 4.30, go right to the makeup chair. You're putting, you know, cancer lesions on your body and, and all kinds of uh, makeup to make you look ill because your character's dying. Uh, so a lot of it isn't the most enjoyable thing to do, but it's like those guys that climb Everest and they say, it was miserable, I got to the top, I couldn't wait to get down. But, you know, they, they're, they're compelled beyond a reasonable doubt to do it. I mean, it was, it, it's, you know, a, a film like this runs the risk of being, like, really heavy-handed. Like, oh, okay, I get it. It's, it's tragic and everyone's going to die. And, sure. and in your, your death scene is really, like, it just happens quickly. Mm. And it almost kind of gives you the experience of, like, well, that's, what, that's how it would have been to uh, McConaughey's character. Mm. Like, he just, it just fleeted by and just gone. Yeah. I talked to people uh, that were alive at that time, some people who uh, were HIV positive at that time and are still alive uh, by some miracle, um, living healthy, productive lives. Uh, And they said they had entire communities just wiped out, friendships, just their whole group of friends, everybody gone. And they're the only ones alive, you know? Could you imagine that? Your entire group of friends that you share your life with just disappeared. You can't stop it. Can't slow it down. Well, it's, it's, it's very much sort of like, like apocalypse mythology. Like, mm. you know, we're so fascinated now. Our pop culture and horror movies, like, we're so fascinated with apocalypse culture. It's like, oh, some virus wiped a bunch of people out. Yeah. That actually happened. It actually to did. To a, a, a section of yeah. humanity. That actually happened. Yeah. And it's not, there's not a cure. You know, there are many people in the world, it's still a death sentence. You know, if you happen to be uh, living in a place where you can, you know, affo- either afford health care or have health care uh, uh, you know, offered to you, then you can live a life. Uh, but still, you know, millions of people, 35 million people uh, uh, are living with HIV AIDS around the world. 36 million people have died from HIV AIDS, uh, from the disease from AIDS. 
So it's still it's still there. It's still alive and well. Were you um, was there any part when you did the film? Were you afraid about any potential? Because obviously it's a very sensitive topic. Yeah. So and because it's it's tragic and it's and it it's affected people in the worst way that you can yeah. imagine. So obviously taking on this material, there is a, there is a tremendous amount of responsibility on you to portray it in a way that is you know respectful and makes people feel like oh he understands it which is very difficult because obviously you're healthy and you know so how did you understand or did you feel any of the weight of that i met with with people in the very beginning that were that were instrumental in uh coaching me and giving me the understanding that i need i also had my own experiences in life where i moved to los angeles uh when i was young and the the first apartment uh, that I rented after I got off, you know, I had a backpack and a couple hundred bucks in my pocket when I first came to LA. I was staying at like crack motels and, and the beach, uh, at Venice and a, a hostel down there. Uh, I remember I walked in this one hostel in Venice. I've never told this story, but I walked into one hostel. I was looking, I went and looked at a few different hostels. I don't even think they probably have hostels there anymore. Maybe they do, but I went down there and I walked into the room. There's a guy just sitting naked on his bed and he looks up at me, says, hello. Would you like to have a seat? <laughs> I said, I think I'll check another room out. <laughs> he was very strange looking. Um, uh, and I always thought it was, a, it was a bit much for him to be completely naked and welcome his roommate into You know uh, why? Because if you're okay with that, then you're probably going to be an okay roommate. Yeah, I guess so. Like, he was know. very relaxed. But it's it like was, farting on the first date. It, if you still want to have a second date after that. Then you're really special. Yeah. Um, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway... Uh, I think it was more his creepy voice than his nakedness that freaked me out. So anyway, I I I I, I came here and what were we talking about? What? We came here just talking about the responsibility. You said oh you, yes, yeah. yes. I met with a boy. I had an experience early on where I rented a room in a three bedroom apartment, and one of the rooms was taken by a man in his forties who was dying of AIDS. Uh, he was a gay man, and uh, you know I watched week after week as he withered away. And, uh, you know, he was funny and kind and very graceful. And there's certainly some piece of him that I instinctively put into Rayon. Uh, 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 but that experience helped inform me a lot as well. I also lost my first uh, agent um, uh, to AIDS when I first moved out here. Uh, so, you know, I think so many of us have been confronted with AIDS or cancer, you know, uh, uh, and, and, and have known people in circumstances beyond their control that are fighting for their lives. So I think that's probably the reason the film resonates with a lot of people too. Did, um, did you take any of it home each night when you're shooting? Hard to let go when you're just physically, when you do that, it becomes muscle memory, those things, you know, obviously you've lost a lot of weight. So it's not like go home and you eat a big meal. Right. Um, you know, you carry all that with you. Uh, you know, I waxed my entire body, including my eyebrows. My face looked different. People treated me different. Uh, you know, I got lots of strange looks from people. Uh, you know, with, with, who is this person? What, 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 yeah. what is this person? And uh, so it, it was really tough to leave. Um, uh, it was a full-time job. Yeah. I had read, I'm, and I'm, you know, I'm sure a lot of people are asking you about this, so I apologize for being another person, but um, the, 
the thing that happened at the Santa Barbara Film Festival where you were questioned by, you know, like, well, why should a, why should a straight man get to play a trans, someone from the transgender mm. community? And, um, and, and I felt like, you know, I read and, you know, a, a really good friend of mine is, is in the trans community. And, and, and I, don't, I don't feel like it was necessarily about you. I think it was about a bigger, mm. this bigger thing mm-hmm. that's like, you know, why aren't, why aren't we being represented? And because, again, I, you know, not being a part of the community is tough for me to say, but your performance was so fantastic in this movie. But I thought it was really interesting that, you know, rather than get defensive or rather be like, well, fuck, I'm an actor. What do you want? Like, you engaged and... Uh, apparently talked at length after the after the panel mm-hmm. with with the people who uh, who asked the questions and so what was that conversation like and what did it well, mean? Well, I think it was a you? great conversation to have. You know, people don't always have access to make their voices heard, and it, other people may think it's inappropriate to take or or feel like it's taking advantage of a situation to go to a public uh, event or arena and kind of. Uh, uh, you know, make your voice heard in that way. But I think it's okay to have a debate. And that's what it was. I think that at the end of a debate, you know, interesting things happen. You become educated a little bit more. Your perspective uh, may change about a particular topic. And in that case, I think it was a good conversation to have. I don't think it's a bad conversation to have, uh, you know, this conversation about who should have the right to play any given part out there, you know, how do we create more opportunity for minorities, which is what that group, uh, uh, is as well, Mm -hmm. you know, people that are in the minority. And I think that's an awesome thing to talk about. So I was happy to, to speak with those people afterwards. And, you know, I mean, it, it was reported as, uh, heckler. Um, but I think a debater is a much more appropriate term and I think it came from a really good place. I've gotten tons of support and, and you know, love from uh, the LGBT community, uh, from transgender people. Uh, but it's still worthy to have that conversation. I've got tons to learn. Uh, we've all got tons to learn. So I'm open. The door is open there. Uh, and I also think that, you know, what I said there remains true. You know, if you if you if you only gave people an opportunity to play the characters that they closest resembled in their own lives, it would probably be a pretty boring world. You know, you want to be able to stretch. You want to be able to be gay, lesbian, trans, and to play a straight person. You want to be able to play someone that's maybe not who you are all the time in your life. Uh, So I think that you know, uh, although it's a healthy conversation, I had my opinion about it too. Well, I think it's important. I think it's an important lesson for people that because a lot of when a lot of people think of debate, they usually, particularly in the way pop culture works now, it's just name calling. It's like I get to a certain point and be like, "No, you shut up! No, you shut up!" and people get defensive. Yeah. But to see an example of like, "This is something that I feel. This is something that I feel." Let's gain a better understanding. I think it was a totally positive uh, interaction, and we all, I think, came away from it better off. Uh, than if we had not had that, but yeah, both myself yeah. and the people that were there that had something to say. Uh, and I, I, I think that's a good thing to happen. I, I'm totally open and, uh, and, and glad that something like that happened. Well, I think, I think Rayon was a, the, from what I took away was that I think a lot of people could have played that character as like stereotypically gay, but she, mm. she, she was just a, the character was just beautiful. Like the sexuality was, 
it was almost incidental. It was just a very beautiful character. Well, I appreciate that. I think also in 1985, what people need to remember is that the word transgender wasn't being tossed around. You know, there was a scientist who used, or a psychologist who used the term in 1970-something, I think was the earliest that I could find it. But it wasn't a term that was tossed around, you know. And I think for Rayon, she was in a process of discovery. She was in a process of uh, exploring identity. That's why she had a different wig on every fucking day, you know. And she was trying to figure out, who is she? Am I like the other guys that I know who just like to put on women's clothing? Or do I want to live my life as a woman? You know, I I chose to make uh, a decision. I, I made a decision early on to play her as someone who was born a man, but identified with living as a woman. But at that time, especially in Texas, I don't know if she had all the answers. I don't think she had all the information. Uh, you know, I think that she had feelings and she had desire, uh, but you know, she didn't, there was no perfect solution at that time. And uh, certainly not a lot of, there weren't many examples that she had out there uh, to show her maybe where that solution was for her. So how did that, so jumping over to, jumping over to 30 Seconds to Mars, how do you come out of an experience like this, which is going to change you and maybe give you perspective and understanding that you didn't have before and maybe make you more appreciative of life, I assume. And yeah. then, and then just go back to like, okay, now I'm, now I'm in tour mode again. Now I'm in a band. Yeah. I'm, now I'm Jared. And now I'm just, sure. Well, you know, all of these things change you. They teach you, you hope to keep a piece of what, uh, you love so much about the character. Like she was such a dreamer and so sweet and funny. You hope that if I would hope if I ever was faced with such dire circumstances, such challenging situation as she was, that I would have that much grace and charm and levity, uh, you know, and, and, and be so courageous. So you hope to keep a few of those things. And she was very open. I could be super guarded. So you, you want to, you know, you hope that, that, wow, if I could be like that way in a character or role, why can't I be like that in the rest yeah. of my life? Well, because it's a, fr- you know, being, cause being open as yourself, you're vulnerable. And at least as a character, there's a layer of separation where you're like, mm-hmm. oh, well, if some, you know, that, that's not me. That's not me. I think it's, it's you know like it's it's great to play a good character, but I think it's really scary to be yourself. It's really scary to be yourself publicly because because sure. then you can be attacked as who you are. Yeah, um, I think you're right. I think you're right. You know, it's, I'm I'm really uh, proud that I was able to make this film and touch people um, with a performance that was sculpted from nothing. You know, it wasn't based on my charming and winning personality. Uh, it was based on, you know, the, the, the heart and soul of her person. Uh, that's, that's something that's really wonderful. You know, I think it's a rare thing to be able to do. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm really happy about that. So when do you go back on... T- can you even think about going back on tour? I'm already I mean, on tour. You're just, on tour now. Oh, oh yeah. that's right. You're on tour now. I just, I just played three shows in Mexico. Jesus. Uh, yeah, they were some of the biggest and best, best shows we ever played. Guadalajara, Monterey, and Mexico City, DF. And uh, we're headed to uh, Lille and Lyon and Paris, two shows in Paris. Then we go to uh, uh, Sweden, Denmark, uh, Finland, uh, Norway, Germany, Austria. All by train? Come on. Copenhagen? Copenhagen <laughs> and Brazil uh, pretty soon. It was in Brazil, I think, it's just announced. <laughs> pretty exciting. You're going to get the Brazilian uh, uh, oh, uh, family uh, coming. Brazil and May. But we're all over the place. South Africa. Yeah, you got to pop back for the Oscars and then Italy. go back out and tour the world. That's really That's what we're doing. sweet. Yeah, it's not a bad, not a bad thing. If, so, you don't, if you don't mind missing sleep 
then it's okay. You know, yeah, it is. It really, it's, it's, I'm pretty good. But I like to sleep. I don't, I can't sleep more than like five hours. Like five hours is my, and if I wake up, then I have to go back. I, if I go back to sleep, I, I have like a weird sleep hangover the rest of the day. Yeah. But so to just sort of wrap, as we wrap up, um, what, how, how did you get through it? What about you led you from being this young actor, you know, who very easily could have been, you know, ruined by Hollywood or ruined by the lifestyle, but, you know, being sort of the young, if coming from my so-called life to everything else that you've done, how did you get through it? How did you succeed and kind of... Well, I came, I was born really, you know, into, uh, we didn't have a lot, you know, we were poor and it's all comparative. There were people living a dollar a day. We lived on food stamps uh, and we were in America. So how poor, you know, are you comparatively? I lived in Haiti for a short time when I was a kid too. That's poor. You know, those people, the poor people in Haiti are, are, are some of the most challenged people on the planet. So we had our blessings and we were lucky to be where we were. Uh, but certainly, you know, we had a young single mom who wanted to make a better life for herself. And I think that although I came to Los Angeles after dropping out of art school to make films as an actor, to get a job as a director, I, cer- I had other dreams, you know. <laughs> I never really saw myself in a box. I didn't see myself as someone who did had this one career path. And at the end of it, I'm going to get a watch and retire. I just don't have that kind of mentality. I've always been creative and I've always just followed my gut, and I certainly wasn't going to let any preconceived notions or stereotypes stop me from pursuing my dream. I, I'm not going to do it because that person's making fun of me over there. Yeah, it would be the most absurd. If the world worked that way, it would be a really sad place. Uh, we wouldn't have a lot of the wonderful things that we uh, have enjoyed uh, on this planet. But, um, you know, I guess for me... There, there are a lot of things that I would love to do. I'm, I'm compelled beyond a reasonable doubt to, to, you know, do the things that I'm doing right now. We'll see what tomorrow brings. I haven't made, I haven't read another script since Dallas Buyers Club, uh, but we'll see what happens. Well, when you go back to your house, wherever your house is, I'm sure you probably don't get to see it very often. But it, you'll, it will be the one that has a buried in a mountain of scripts that you'll have to knock out of the way to get to your fucking door. But, Just so you can pee in front of the Guinness Book of World Records for the longest tour. But, uh, Jared, I know you have to go, but this was, it was Thanks, really man. lovely talking to you. Yeah, it was and, awesome and, talking and, to you guys, And, and travel safe. Thank you. Stay off death planes. Thank you. It only took us a year or so, but we're here. We're here, yeah. yeah. So, we did it. So Twitter, Twitter's going to go crazy. <laughs> Thanks, man. It's good to see you. You too. Enjoy your burrito, everyone. That's what I need. Yeah. A burrito. Let's get a quick. We uh, we put up a little picture on Instagram to promote the thing. So. Yeah, yes. huh? I know. I was a Jeopardy clue today. Are you? Yes. That's how you know you made it. I'm very excited. Well, I was on Jeopardy in the '90s. Oh, were you? So it was very exciting for me. On yeah. Now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. For more than two centuries, the White House has been the stage for some of the most dramatic scenes in American history. Inspired by the hit podcast American History Tellers, Wondery and William Morrow present the new book, The Hidden History of the White House. Each chapter will bring you inside the fierce power struggles, the world-altering decisions, and shocking scandals that have shaped our nation. You'll be there when the very foundations of the White House are laid in 1792, and you'll watch as the British burn it down in 1814. Then you'll hear the intimate conversations between FDR and Winston Churchill as they make plans to defeat Nazi forces in 1941. 
And you'll be in the Situation Room when President Barack Obama approves the raid to bring down the most infamous terrorist in American history. Pre-order The Hidden History of the White House now in hardcover or digital editions wherever you get your books.